The Koffler Gallery is proud to present the world premiere of a heart-wrenching and fascinating exhibition, The Synagogue at Babinyar, Turning the Nightmares of Evil into a Shared Dream of Good. Opening on the eve of Yom HaShoah, April 17th, and running until November, the multidisciplinary exhibition tells the bittersweet story of the Babinyar Synagogue, which stands on the grounds of the first large-scale massacre of the Holocaust in 1941. Experience the full historical, political, artistic, and spiritual context of this incredible monument for the first time. The exhibition is free of charge. To learn more, visit KofflerArts.org. Hey everybody, welcome back. We're the Menschwarmers, your look at the world of Jews and sports. I'm Jamie. I'm here with my co-host Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, thank you. We've got a sick household, uh, and I say that in the medical sense, not in the like rad skating sense. Um, sure. We've, we're sort of recovering from a bunch of injuries, which means we've had a lot of time to watch the sports world over this past weekend. I, I've said this before, but like a, as a parent, I feel like I'm, I'm uh, having a hard time with this time of year of being a sports fan and like it being a prerequisite to watch a 10 o'clock game almost every day, like between NBA and NHL playoffs, just like, you know, I want to see golden state uh, Lakers, you know, I want to see Denver and Phoenix. I want to see my golden Knights take on the Oilers. Like it's so much. And it's just like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. These children wake me up at six in the morning. And every one of those games you mentioned had, had a big Jewish connection. Obviously, DeMontis Sabonis is no longer in the playoffs, but lots of Jews front and center at the Lakers games. Larry David has been sitting next to the Lakers yeah, bench every, every night, um, you know, saying hi, shaking hands with LeBron, uh, which I don't think is a thing he ever expected he would be doing. Um, as well, you mentioned wow. your Golden Knights playing the Oilers with uh, Zach Hyman. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of... Think about it. When... when, when... When LeBron started started in the NBA, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm had already been on the air for a few years. Yeah, like, and now it's true. That's pretty that's, wild, that's, huh? That is pretty wild. Talk about two two guys with some longevity. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's let's jump right into it. We should say off the top that we have a great interview coming up uh, in the second half of our podcast uh, with Jonah Fialco, a.k.a. Jewish Jonah. Uh, Ju- Jonah... We are getting into the economics part of our podcast. We have not covered <laughs> mercantilism uh, in a lot of episodes of the mentor warmers yet until today until today yeah so we i, I was gonna say we, we've talked to people in all different areas of sports we've talked to executives we've talked to the president of the baseball hall of fame we've talked to players uh we've talked to you know a the lot of sports writers of the ottawa senators exactly we've talked to people sort of at every level of team ownership and organization jonah was the first time that we spoke to someone on the organizational uh food and beverage pyramid, I guess I would, I would put it. He is a vendor at Wrigley Field, and he has been doing these great TikTok videos in the last few months showing his life as a vendor, uh, other vendors at the field, you know, other parts of his life as well, but really focusing on that, uh, what it's like to be a vendor at, at Wrigley Field. And he spoke, he was kind enough to spend some time with us talk, talking about that, you know, talking about his work as, on, on those TikToks. It, they're, they're really great. They're really worth they're watching. They're very good. And a surprising amount of Jewish content, as he explains in them too. One question I strongly regret not asking him. So it's not going to ruin any of the interview. I promise you all out there in Radio Land. But I did not ask if the hot dogs were Jewish or how often he gets the request for a Jewish hot dog. 
I know. I, I, I regretted that too. We didn't talk about the kosher, kosher food, that. and yeah, I, Chicago being a, a reasonably big Jewish community, I'm certain there's some sort of kosher options at Wrigley Field. I'm not sure if it's uh, being vended like up and down. A couple of years but, ago, uh, maybe we'll have to have a follow up interview. Yeah, yeah, we will. A couple of years ago, I was at Fenway Park. And I was curious, mm-hmm. so I asked about the kosher hot dogs. The only kosher hot dogs available at Fenway Park are in a vending machine in oh, a wow. single part of the stadium. They just well, that pop makes out a hot hot dog. That makes sense because there's not enough volume like needed necessarily. Like in Toronto, we have like there's like a stand, you know, there or maybe a few of them, like the old Spadina oh, Avenues. Where a they couple like, of, do they? Did they? I haven't been to a Blue Jays game yet this year, and I wonder if maybe we can if get Mark Shapiro on to, to one day talk. <laughs> Not if they've kept them. If the kosher hot dog scam to sneak into the lower bowl is still happening, if you could right, still right. do that for, for a very long time at Blue Jays games, you could say they would let you into the lower level. If you had an upper level ticket, they would let you into the lower level. You said, oh, I'm just going to buy a kosher hot dog, and there's no uh, kosher hot dog stand up top. That was like the password. You know, that's true. Not intentionally, of course, but it also also know, works with like, uh, getting. Also, it works with saying you're going to get an ice cap because uh, the Tim Horton yeah. stand was only in the first level. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know if that's still in play. I have an egg cream, please, of of kosher hot dogs at the stadium. That's that. Can I have an egg cream, please? Is a, a, a old you don't have to be Jewish reference, right? For all my 1960s comedy fans out there. Uh, I, I hopefully the the uh, Blue Jays aren't going to back tax us for. Uh, our indiscretions ten years ago when we were sneaking into the lower levels with a uh, with our friends one dollar per game ticket pass. <laughs> uh, maybe that's maybe that's how I will get our one question we get to email Mark Shapiro is does he know about the kosher hot dog thing? Yeah. Um, yeah so moving Everybody on. Mo- anyway, a- anyways, we got th- lots to talk about today. Just go over some some sports news. Talking about uh, the Cubs. One thing we didn't talk about with Jonah. Uh, but we should have is that uh, shortly after we spoke to him, but in the past now, uh, Matt Mervis made his de- debut with the Cubs. Uh, Mash Mervis, who had uh, been with the team Israel, he has had a hit in every game. Yeah, he's had a, had a hit in every game that he's played so far uh, as of taping this. You know, I think he's probably going to be a regular fixture for the team uh, for, for the time being. Yeah, he's 25 years old. Like, he's, you know, he's, this is like you get your shot. This is his time. See, see if, you know, see if you can make it as a big leaguer and by all indications he should be. So uh, pretty exciting to see him come up. Uh, you know, he's not the only Jew playing in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, 14, ma- 14 members of the tribe have now made it to uh, the MLB ranks this year, uh, including Harrison Bader, who just uh, came off the injured list Bader's for the Yankees. Back, that's right. It, it, it's uh, did, pretty- you, did you see interesting thing Bader did recently? He did a a segment going to Jewish delis in New York with Marcus Samuelson. Right. Who is not Jewish, but no, as he visited some Jewish delis in the Bronx. He's Swedish, yes. Um, he took he took Harrison Bader with him. Um, you know, they didn't really mention much that Bader was Jewish, but it was nice that they brought the Jewish guy instead <laughs> of, you know, Anthony Rizzo to a Jewish deli. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's uh, the number of Jewish players right now is basically – uh, at the highest level it can be, you know, if there's a few guys who might get called up towards Spencer Horowitz, uh, maybe progressive Spencer Horowitz has b- been hitting pretty well. Uh, I, I think the Jays don't really have a spot for him at the moment, but uh, you know, there there's been up to 17. Uh, I think last year was the highest. So we're getting to a point where we could get pretty close to that. Uh, and that's pretty cool to do. I, I see. I think people are pretty excited about Harrison Bader. Uh, you know, we've talked about in the past that the Yankees, it's been a while since they've had a Jewish fixture on the team. 
Uh, they've had, mm-hmm. you know, Scott Efros, who was pitching a little bit, um, but has been injured. But it's exciting to see, you know, everyday player. Uh, Kevin Plyer is getting some hits in. He had a he had a two a run walk-off. pinch hit home run the other day uh, for the Braves for his hundredth home run of his career. Uh, that and Braves, it was a walk-off. yeah, uh, the Braves series last week had, had the you know had had the Jewish World Series matchup, uh, you know, uh, uh, of Max Fried <laughs> versus Shabbos. Dean Kramer on Chavez, probably the two best Jewish pitchers in some time. I guess since probably Jason Marquez, I, I, you know, but they mm-hmm. were head to head that was pretty exciting so you know we're really getting into the dog days of summer soon and you know mlb keeps churning it out and lots of jewish players just uh doing exciting things on the field you know it's great to see some of these connections from team israel going forward and and guys who are on that team sort of make a big impact at the major league level so uh hopefully we get to see friend of the pod spencer horowitz up in the up in the big league soon too hope so um, moving over to the round ball, we should say that soon to be uh, Jewish, soon to be converted to Montes Sabonis was bounced by uh, Hebrew Hebrew tattoo owner Steph Curry <laughs> from the first round of the NBA playoffs. You know the Kings went up two nothing, and then they they couldn't uh, they couldn't put away the Warriors. Pretty pretty good to make it to game seven games. They got they got thrashed pretty thoroughly in game seven, but. Stuff to grow Absolutely. on. I think this feels like a win for the Kings that they made the playoffs. I mean, it's still tough to to win around again against such good teams in the West. But you know, we look forward to hearing more about uh, Demontis's conversion or you know continued interest in Judaism and connection to Judaism. And, and, and uh, no cheer for him next year. To the, there's no shame in losing to the Warriors. They're an ongoing dynasty. They're going to take LA late in the series. They've got a Jewish owner. There's a lot of reasons to cheer for the Warriors still, and it's for not, sure. You know, ninety miles down the road from another team with Jewish connections. You know, we're happy that Northern California, that Northern California Jewish sports <laughs> hall of fame is going to keep growing. That's right. Uh, and, and speaking of Jewish owners, uh, you know, something happened just last night as we're, as we're recording this, which is that recently installed uh, Suns owner, Matt Ishbia got into a bit of a tussle with Denver Nuggets. I called him Rogas. Uh, yeah. Two time MVP, Nikola Jokic, which was that basically what happened. If you haven't seen the clip, uh, a Suns player, I can't recall who, Sort of flew out of bounds with the ball into into sort Jaren of into Durand. was the Jaren Durand into sort of Ishbia's lap. He was sort of sitting in the corner of the uh, of the mm-hmm. courtside seats and into Ishbia's lap, and the person sitting next to him. And Ishbia ended up with the ball in his hands just because that's where hand came to. And Ishbia was sort of you know helping the player out, and at the same time, Nikola Jokic was grabbing the you know stealing the ball away from him. Which Ishbia, like I would say, in terms of breaking down that clip, and I've seen it from a few angles now, did not give up the ball as quickly as he could have, you know. But on the other hand, he also yeah. wasn't really looking at Jokic to see like who's trying to take this ball from me. Uh, and we should mention as well, Matt Ishbia, before he became a billionaire mortgage broker uh, or owner of a mortgage broken brokerage company, was a well, walk on at Michigan himself. State. Yeah, he won. Yeah. The, he won a national ba- basketball championship. I think in ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand. The only he was. It seems the only Jew on the team. But Toronto Raptors legend Morris Peterson was his teammate. Yeah, it, it was, was a, a local it, connection there. Yeah. So uh, looking up, it's funny because looking up, I, I found an article written by Jamal Hill of all people back when she was, you know, just a, a beat writer in Detroit, but talking about how he was like the beloved class clown on the team. You know, wasn't getting into a lot of games necessarily, but. Uh, everyone loved rallying around him and and and, and hanging uh, out with him. 
I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess that it was just sort of. Well, I I was just going to say regarding not giving the ball immediately to Jokic. I'm going to say that it was probably just like basketball intuitive skills. Like that's his training. Like you're holding a basketball. If someone's trying to steal it from you, you don't give it up. Like, you know, if he's somebody who played a lot of basketball growing up and, and, and into his college years, I, I assume continues to play at some level or at least has some interest in basketball. He just bought the Phoenix Suns that he knows, like, how to hold onto a ball. And uh, that was good. I mean, I think that it was, you know, it wasn't uh, a malicious act. And Jokic did get a technical no. for sort of going into the stands. But I, I don't think it's going to go think, beyond there. And so a couple of things I want to mention. One it was Josh Okoji, not uh, Jaron Duran. He plays for the Red Sox. I was mixing up sports there. Josh okay. Okoji. Um, but uh, Matt Ishbia, after the game, said he thought it was a totally normal basketball play and, and Jokic shouldn't be suspended. I think right. there are a couple of things that are probably the case here as well. I doubt Nikola Jokic, Jokic noticed who he was. Probably could tell, you know, Matt Ishbia. Yeah, it seemed Adam, like but also in, in the post-game interview, so Jokic... Fast. In the post game interview, Jokic didn't know that it was the owner. He's just like, it was a yeah. fan. And they're like, do you know it that it was fan. the owner? And, like, and you're not like, supposed to like, touch no. a fan. Right. The fans are also not supposed to interfere in the game. Right. Like I agree. If that was if that was you or me, we just like, I don't want a seven foot five guy grabbing the ball from me. Like, dig it, man. That's um, true. So, you know, it just goes back and forth very quickly. I also think that, you know, you don't necessarily, this is like, a statement on capitalism I'm about to make, but you also don't get to be a billionaire if you don't hold on to the ball that falls in your lap as hard as you possibly can, even if right. the giant scary guy is trying to wrestle it away from you. They're both just fitting. Uh, in look, looking up, looking up Ishbia a little bit uh, as we were researching this, it, it was interesting. I didn't really know the extent of his uh, animosity with fellow NBA owner, Dan Gilbert. Who owns the Cleveland Cavs? Fellow NBA and mortgage broker Dan Gilbert. Yeah, so so and we should say Gilbert's also Jewish. Uh, he's been the owner of the Cavs for a long time, for twenty five years or so. Um, but I think they just had like competing Great Lakes Midwest regional mortgage companies, and it's like that's where the animosity stems from, which is very funny because it's like it's one thing to not like a fellow owner because like you know they voted for the CBA and you were against it, or like they they did, they wanted some rules change you didn't want. But uh, Gilbert was the one abstention. You know, the league was the league was like desperately trying to get the hands out of the side, the team out of the hands of Robert Sarver. Uh, and, you know, they have to approve the new owner coming in. Matt Ishbia made a, a nice offer that, uh, you know, was the biggest offer there was. And it was like all of the other owners who voted. There were, it was 28 owners approved of him taking it over. And Matt and Dan Gilbert was the one abstention. <laughs> Like, yeah, not not going to make a difference, but just like, I'm not voting for this guy. We don't get along. I just think it's hilarious. Like, there's a lot of there's been been hate, you know, there's been like attack ads back and forth. It's crazy. He what what Ishbia did is actually very controversial and potentially illegal. And there's like a lot of debate over it. He very famously, you know, followed Northeast business. And I'm sure people would know this, but he. If I'm, I think I'm not mistaken, but he refused to work with any bank that also worked with Dan Gilbert. Right. And that's how he did the competition. He said, you know, to every money lender, you're either working with him or you're working with me. So that cost both of them. It cost Gilbert a lot of money, who was the bigger one at the time, but also made Ishbia a lot of money. Um, so I, I, just a, think it's a, I just think there's something, you know, I'm not asking one another. Now they're working I, together I'm not asking again. anyone. Yeah, exactly. I'm not asking anyone to like sympathize with a billionaire. Uh, Dan Gilbert's made a lot of money and, and has done, you know, 
some good things, some bad things, whatever, in terms of his ownership. Made a lot of money. I'm I'm not going to say this. I'm using this word on purpose, but, you know, Shylocking. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Anyways, what I was going to say is that, like, I think it's very, very, I think there's something really, really funny about the idea of, like, making all this money, buying an NBA team. And Dan Gilbert, I'm pretty sure, has, like, talked about owning a basketball team, like, it's not a money-making endeavor. Like it's like owning a work of art, you know, like you should just own it for the sake of owning it. And then like your business rival buys a, another team. Like at least they're not in the same conference, but like you still have to see that guy. Like you see, if he wins an NBA championship, you have to see this guy. Like he bought his way into your club of literally 30 people. Like there are not that many NBA owners. Like it's, you know, a team gets sold maybe every five, 10 years. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, this guy that you do not like, but that you definitely have to spend some time thinking about just got into your club. Like there's, you know, there's, I, I it, it's a funny thing for, for that to happen. Like of all, of all the gin joints, you know, this guy couldn't have bought a hockey team or a baseball team. He has to come steal know, my it's thing. It's true. like, I would be so annoyed if I was him. And again, I'm not asking anyone to sympathize with literal billionaire owner, Dan Gilbert. I just think it's hilarious that that happened to him. And I sort of feel, but I, I, I can understand feeling bad for him. Absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's it's very interesting. I would agree. Yeah. They can. I'm sure there's a lot of. It goes all the way back to growing up in Michigan. Maybe there's a Wayne State with Dan <laughs> Gilbert and a Michigan State uh, uh, with Ishbia, like uh, you know, rivalry they got going on. Um, but this gets like, I'm I'm hoping that maybe the two of them can just like compete by donating money to the UJA Federation. Like who can give the most money <laughs> you know to such They're- a thing. They're both teams coming up. Like, I, I, it's not impossible that we would see an NBA Finals in a couple of years. That's Cavs versus Suns, and uh, absolutely. You know, I, I would, I, I would say the winner gets to underwrite the uh, the note on the lease for the stadium for the other one. Whatever. I mean, I'm just throwing some mortgage <laughs> terms around. Uh, one of them gets to write a mortgage for the other one. Uh, that's the yeah, that should be there on the line. You go. Like, like when when rival mayors uh, have to wear the opposing team's jersey if their team loses. Um, yes, mo- they 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 each have to buy a house with each other's <laughs> mortgage organization. Exactly. Uh, moving on to hockey, uh, we should say there's still a fair amount of Jews of, uh, around in the second round. The uh, New Jersey Devils and, and, New, and New York Rangers series that we talked about last time is being very Jewish. Uh, we, ended it with the Devils. The, the Devils of, winning of younger brother Luke. Yeah, we so saw the bro- younger debut of Luke with two assists last yeah. night. That's right. So last night, uh, the Devils beat the Hurricanes eight to four. Pretty, pretty big win uh, to get a game back in the series. They're still down two one as we're taping this. Uh, Jack Hughes had six points, including two goals. Uh, his yeah. lo- his younger uh, his younger brother Luke had two assists as well. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty amazing big game for, for, Jack. for you know these young young debut guys. Uh, Jack lost a front tooth, which is quite a look. And I was you know, I was going to say that. I'm, I'm sure his family knows dentists that can fix it. <laughs> yeah, really spitting that chiclet. Um, so pretty exciting <laughs> for him. Or sorry, Jack had four points. He had four points. Four. He was involved in four of the eight goals. Two goals, it's pretty, two, pretty impressive. two goals, two assists. Yeah. Two goals, two assists, not six points. Uh, so pretty exciting for him. I mean, we'll see if they claw back and, and can end up evening that series and maybe winning. Uh, they, they're the main representation in the East. I don't think there's anyone in the Leafs-Panthers series. Uh, all right, let's let's not kill ourselves. Anyone on the Panthers who's going to make it onto the next round? Uh, out west, uh, Zach Hyman and the Oilers <laughs> made it past the Kings. Uh, it's currently one-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, they're playing uh, the game right now, so unclear who's going to win that one or who's going to make it through. Uh, but wish Zach luck, I guess, to a certain degree. 
Uh, I am a Vegas yep. Knights fan at heart, so uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, pretty strange stuff. I mean, I think there's, a, we'll there's a pretty decent chance for for a Jewish player to make the NHL, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. Mm-hmm. There's a, a couple on each side, and and you know, there's been a lot of, I would say, excitement over the Jewish NHL players this year, and to see one of them, you know, come through at the end would be a really nice bow to tie on it. Any other exciting? Stuff going on this month in the uh, in the world of sports. We saw a great story come out of our friends at the JTA recently. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about that. Um, there's a. I'm sorry, we spoke at the same time. It happens. It's a Jewish thing, but they brought the attention to an Australian kid, a modern Orthodox day school kid who got drafted third overall in the uh, in the AFL draft. That's not the Al Davis AFL, but that's the <laughs> right. Australian Football League. Harry Sheasel which sounds made up like it sounds like a name like like there would be in school ties. Sure. Um, but Harry Sheasel drafted third overall. He's been a star rookie and he's proud to be Jewish and he's only 18 years old. He's closer to his bar mitzvah wow. than I am to getting engaged. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's really that's really very really cool. I can't say I know a ton about footy uh, as they call it. I think I think Ooh, the only I, the most prominent, the pro, most prominent Jewish interaction with uh, Aussie Rules football previously was when uh, it was in the Judd Apatow movie Funny People, yeah, where, they, where Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen watch it with Eric Bana. I think that's that's probably I've, the uh, the previous version of it. I've seen a lot of AFL highlight compilations that mostly involve people getting hurt in funny ways, um, but have yeah, it's a pretty a violent sport. Live. It's like rug, it's like yeah. rugby style violence, more or less, but like yes. more so. And a, and a lot, but with basketball sized and shaped people. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so hope, yeah, hopefully so we'll, Harry Sheasel, which again, sounds like an Australian swear word, swear word can uh, succeed in this uh, weirdo down under sport. And I'm excited to follow it now. I have, we have a reason to. Yeah, absolutely. So it would be exciting to talk to someone there. Um, I'd like to just move on, take a break. Gabe, anything else you wanted to mention just in terms of news, uh, things going on um, choosing sports where we get to our interview? We've heard new tell, heard news from PGA Tour golfer Daniel Berger, who has oh, had yeah, a back that's injury true. that's kept him out for almost a year. He's been posting some videos of his swing, looking good. Looks like he's fishing on the boat, hanging out with his dogs, but nearing a return to uh, to playing. Um, and we're excited to follow him, you know, through the summer. He was up around 20th in the world when he got hurt. So with any yep. luck between him and Max, we'll see some, some, you know, maybe a Jew in a major this year. Yeah, that's right. It's been almost a full year since Berger uh, last played. Um, speaking of golf, Max uh, Homa, who are, you know, our, our favorite uh, Jewish golfer, tied for eighth at the Wells Fargo. He had won last year. So, uh, you know, not a bad result, obviously, coming up to the PGA. Uh, and I wanted to mention, uh, Gabe, mm-hmm. that you know we've been talking, we've talked previously about our partnership with BetStamp, uh, which is a great app that allows you to compare different wagering sites uh, within Ontario. It'll allow you to compare all the different ones in Ontario. Uh, you can line shop for the most profitable odds across all the different sports books. Uh, you can sign up to BetStamp using our promo code Menschwarmers, uh, and allows you to let them know that you, we sent them your way. Uh, so I looked up the odds for for Max to win the PGA Championship, which is the next major coming up. Uh, and it is interesting. It is interesting to see that between the different sports books that uh, are available here, you can get odds as good as thirty five to one and as relatively bad as twenty five to one. So you can see 
you know, BetStamp gives you that information and sort of shows you in practice. It, it, I think it, it works really nicely for things like golf, like golf futures, where the odds are usually going to be somewhere between, you know, even for the best golfers in the world, like five or 10 to one, uh, you know, that there's a whole uh, 10 to one range here in terms of what's available. That if you're gambling at one sports book, it's 25 to one. Another sports book, it's 35 to one. You know, that makes a huge difference in the long run if you're if you're doing this. So cool Tom to see Watson those sorts of things on BetStamp. Tom Watson used to say when he woke up in the morning, he didn't have any idea if he was going to shoot 65 or 75. So if you were <laughs> to apply that to the BetStamp context, you wake up in the morning and you don't know if you're going to get 25 to one or 35 to one on Max Homa. But there, there, the service that lets you figure that out that tells you absolutely that. you're not stuck in that it's a great way to optimize your uh in- infotainment so yeah if you're interested in getting the best deal on your uh gambling dollar uh check out bat stamp a- app on the apple ios store google play store or through your b- browser at betstamp.app uh you can access all those benefits and sign up using the promo code mentwarmers to check out the best odds that you can get in ontario sports books we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our interview with jonah fialco UJA's Walk with Israel is happening this Victoria Day, Monday, May 22nd. Join thousands of community members for the world's largest Israel Solidarity Walk, followed by an epic Israeli-themed beach party to celebrate Israel's 75th birthday. Get all the details by visiting walkwithisrael.com. This is our moment to unite as one strong and proud Jewish community, religious and secular, left and right, Jews and allies. Everyone belongs at the Walk with Israel. Register before May 19th, and if you use the promo code CJN, you can save 10% on all Walk Bundle packages. To register, visit walkwithisrael.com. So we're joined tonight by Jonah Fialco, uh, a.k.a. Jewish Jonah on TikTok. Jonah, how are you doing? Oh, living the dream. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, so for our listeners who, who haven't... Uh, been pushed on the algorithm uh you know the tiktok algorithm knows you're jewish knows everyone's jewish and and pushes jewish content on it on on their fellow jews uh but jonah you've come to some prominence uh for your tiktoks where you sort of go into the life uh your life as a wrigley field vendor when did you start vending is vending the right verb by the way vending is the correct verb you can also use the term hawking Mm, that um, sounds anti-semitic is is, slightly maybe (laughs) a little bit uh i I generally go with vending although there are multiple types of vending we don't really get into that i'm a seat vendor um, but i've been working as a vendor since the summer of 2015 so when i was 18 years old so you were there for the world series oh yeah Oh yeah, luckily um, joined right right in time for the new era of the uh, of the Cubs team with Bryant and Rizzo and Baez and Contreras. It was the perfect time to start vending. Is that the youngest you could be, or are there vendors uh, in you know in high school kids who take the summers to to vend? I think back in the day they were more lenient about that and would hire kids younger. But I think you have to be right. eighteen now. So I got in uh, as early as I could. And have you been vending every summer since uh, since then, since twenty fifteen? I have. Aside from the uh, the one year that COVID had no fans, I was unfortunately sitting sure. on my couch watching the 60-game baseball season. But right when minimum capacity came back, I was uh, 
part of the 25% allowed into the ballpark and was selling hot dogs to the people again. So yeah, I've been doing it every summer since. So take us through a little bit. Let's start, go back a little bit, maybe pre-bar mitzvah. Um, You are from Chicago. You have always been a Cubs fan, presumably. Like, How did you get from from the Bima to Wrigley Field? Yeah, Bima to Wrigley Field. What a what a saga that is. Uh, so we'll start at the Bima. I was a 13-year-old Jewish boy in the north suburbs of Chicago. And the theme that I came up with for my bar mitzvah was Jonah's MLB. It was baseball themed, but it stood for oh, nice. Major League Bar Mitzvah, ah. which is probably the most clever thing that any 13-year-old Jewish boy has ever come <laughs> up with. Uh, the head the head table at my bar mitzvah party was the Chicago Cubs. Obviously, it was the one that I was sitting at. Um, but I've, I've kind of been a diehard Cubs fan my entire life. I would drive down from the suburbs with my folks. Um, we'd stop at Ann Sather's down the block from the ballpark and get a cinnamon roll. Then we'd head over uh, to the stadium. And I was there when we were losing 100 games a year. Um, but it quickly transitioned into a goal of mine to A, live by Wrigley Field, and then B, work at Wrigley Field. Um, and I have accomplished right. both of those. So was the goal uh, when you started vending, you know, hey, I'm 18. This is a great way to watch, you know, 80, you know, 60 to 80 Cubs games a year. Uh, or was it trying to make money? Or, or what was your what was your goal when you started out? Yeah, it was a, kind of a little bit of both. I think uh, my buddies and I, one of my buddies' dads used to vend. And, you know, that a lot of the guys have been there for five decades, they don't really leave. So my friend's dad, who used to then put us in contact with the people that were still there. It was me and two buddies uh, and we had nothing to do over the summer. And we're like, huh, why don't we try to get a job at Wrigley as vendors? So uh, we emailed them and they were looking for some help seat vending. And we hopped, quickly hopped at the opportunity um, and have, have been there ever since. So uh, it was it was kind of always a goal to work for the Cubs in some capacity. I didn't know that the, my first job with them would be slinging hot dogs at the stadium, but it has been <laughs> unbelievably fun it's kind of like the best part-time job in the world and are you are you so you mentioned hot dogs just like take us a little bit into that are you only hot dogs are you sometimes hot dogs how does one determine what exactly you're hawking yeah i'm I'm a real a real jack of all trades vendor also great use of the word hawking there i'm gonna give you credit (laughs) thank Uh, you my pleasure so how it works is there is a draft about an hour before the game of your item and your section. So all the vendors line up in an office uh, a block from Wrigley, and we line up in seniority order based on who's been there the longest all the way down to the newest guy. Um, So you're choosing the product and the section that you sell. I don't have enough seniority to get the same product every game and like the same section. So I don't really have regulars yet. Um, and the, the things that go first are like Bud Light and Goose Island beer down in the hundreds box seats closer to the field. Um, but I really try to sell whatever I think is going to make the most money for me um, during the regular season. And I have an Excel spreadsheet where I track weather and attendance and time of game. And I use that as well as vendor competition, how many other vendors are selling the same product in my section. And then I have about five seconds to kind of analyze all this data And I point to the sheet and I say, I'm selling hot dogs down the third baseline in the 200s, or I'm selling Goose Island upper deck down the first baseline. So that's kind of how the draft works. 
Cool. You mentioned uh, seniority, and and I like uh, a lot of your TikToks. You talk to some of the older vendors, you know, about how long they've been, uh, how long they've been working there, and and what you know their experiences working other places as well. How 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 long have the most senior vendors been been there? Is it like you know uh, guys get the job when they're eighteen, like you, and they're still working there into their seventies, sixties, seventies, you know, just because of uh, the seniority and how great it is to go to the games? Exactly. Yeah, there are a couple guys there. Uh, one of them is named Hopper. He's one of my vending mentors him and uh ventors one of your ventors oh i gotta bring that to them Uh, (laughs) they're gonna find that hysterical when i see them on friday um so there's a couple guys who have been there 60 years um roger is the oldest current vendor he's 77 years old um wow so yeah i mean these guys really never quit you either like you, you start and then you do it until you're great and I hope that I will be one of those people. I will be vending as long as I'm physically able. Do you? Well, I, I guess I can understand it being being at Wrigley. You know, they had to keep going until they saw the Cubs win the World Series. You know, and that's just. Uh, and then you've already been doing it for 40, 50 years. You got to. You might as well keep going. Yeah, you got to stick it out <laughs> at that point. Do you think you got it, you got your World Series win win early? But now you got to stick it out another. Uh, hopefully, not a hundred years until the next one. Listen, if I can make it to 118 <laughs> years old and uh, we right. get another one, I will hopefully be selling. Who knows what it'll be down the road? It'll probably be holographic hot dogs at that point. There's something NFTs very, hot dogs. very baseball romantic. And I wonder if any other, if, you know, if it works like this, we, you know, where we live in Toronto, we have the Rogers Center, formerly known as the Sky Dome, which is now one of the oldest parks in baseball being 35 years old. You know, that counts as like a vintage ballpark now. But, you know, you go back to a place like Wrigley where it actually feels like you're going back in time and in the 1950s and the vendors are actually from that era too. Not just the seats, <laughs> not just the, the the uniforms, but the vendors as well. It's very romantic. It is totally romantic. It's hard to not be romantic about baseball. And I think that the Cubs have done a really good job like modernizing Wrigley Field, but keeping that you know, nostalgia of the old days there. Um, and I know the Rogers Center, didn't they just get like a $300 million renovation? Oh yeah, it's it's like a EDM show in there. I was, just for reliever introductions, it's like the lights go off and like there's strobe lights. Like it is, it is a party. I love that. And the dome amplifies all the music. Totally. That's true. When the dome's open, it's it, it's not a bad park. Um, when the dome's closed, like coming out of a, of a you know, one o'clock game, on an April Sunday into like blaring sunlight and you've just been like stuck inside for the last three hours can be a bit disconcerting. But uh, yeah, when the dome's open in the summertime, it's a great place to be. Yeah. Uh, I've, not, I've actually been quite, there before. Not quite as lovely as. Oh, you've been oh, to the okay, dome. Great. Uh, oh yeah. What, what was the occasion? I'm on a journey to see every MLB stadium. Um, so I oh, that's to, wonderful. a couple of my buddies were on a road trip up to Montreal and we stopped in Detroit and then in Toronto. Um, but we saw a, Stephen Pierce walk off Grand Slam, which was oh, pretty cool. Hell yeah. we, we absolutely remember that. There were two that year, but it was, <laughs> they were it was two. Okay, it was one it was of those two. Fun, fun yeah. story about that. So we were we were either going to stop there on the way to Montreal or on the way home from Montreal. One of them was a Thursday, one of them was a Sunday, and of the games we were looking at. And Stephen Pierce hit a walk off Grand Slam in both of them <laughs> in the same week. So no matter what, we would have seen a Stephen Pierce walk off Grand Slam. That's amazing. We were as shocked as anyone. I mean, he was like, you know, a quintessential role player for Hey, World Series year. MVP. And, uh, that's a World Series MVP we're talking about here. And, you know, as we are the Canadian Jewish news, now that we know you've been to Canada and, and I'm, we're behooved to ask, 
Did you do anything particularly Jewish in Toronto or Montreal? That includes eating. I assume you had some sort of smoked meat festival. It was, there's was a ton of smoked feet, smoked meats. We went to the, uh, I think the, the laugh, just for laughs comedy fest and saw Judd Apatow. See, see part of the tribe. He might, I, I would assume so. Yeah. So, uh, that, and then there was, there was some casino play as well, which might not be very Jewish. I'm not sure. We're Depends which tight. casino, uh, not the, I think. Not the Montreal, not the Montreal casino. I, I don't think, I, I mean, it's just owned by the government, but, uh, Gabe and, yeah. Gabe and I both spent our for, formative, uh, university years in, in Montreal. So we're, we're pretty familiar with yeah, both went to college generacy there. that can go on. How many, uh, how many MLB stadiums have you been to now? I've been to 28. I've got, uh, oh, Seattle and Oakland left. I've done 21 of them with my dad. So that's kind of, our thing well let me tell you if you wait a few years if you wait a few years you actually won't need to do oakland i don't i want to do oakland it's like it's like (laughs) you want to do before it goes yeah it's like a dog that's so ugly that it's cute i think that's kind of my yes vibe that i get from there um but we're i'm actually trying to plan so here's here's a great this is very timely the perfect so you know i work at wrigley i kind of have to be here when the cubs are home there's also concerts at wrigley field that i work when the cubs are away the perfect trip that we're trying to take out to Oakland and Seattle this year is right over Rosh Hashanah. And my nice. dad and I are having a little bit of a debate. And I'm like, Dad, I will literally celebrate Rosh Hashanah with you. We will go to services on Saturday morning in Seattle. Um, and we're having a little, a little debate back and forth about if that's kosher or not. He's a little uncomfortable about it. I would love to have that experience. But... Uh, I'll keep you guys posted on what the ultimate decision is. Please do. Yeah, tell uh, your rabbi. Tell your rabbi that that we approve. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have no halachic uh, authority, but we are we are two Jews. Like you know, we are <laughs> we are we are at least two guys. So we're giving you authority on this one. Uh, and and if any of our listeners are in the uh, Puget Sound area, you know, can host Jonah for a, a Rosh Hashanah feast. Larry <laughs> Stone out to see the Mariners. That, that could yeah. be a big. That could be a big selling point if we had like an actual festive meal to go to during the day on that Saturday before we right. cut batting practice out at uh, Mariner Stadium. Gotta set him up with Larry Stone. He's the, uh, the we had him on. He's the oh, yeah. Jewish, Jewish sports writer from uh, Seattle. Who covered the Mariners, there. covered yeah. the storm. He's, he's the guy. I think he's the president of the Baseball Writers Association of America. That's a good Jewish networking thing. You could say like, dad, it's a baseball trip and a Rosh Hashanah trip. I, I think that the the bigger sell might be that his name is Larry Stone, and my dad will be like, "All right, he's one of us." Yeah, we're, we're, we're <laughs> yeah. he's, he's the guy. So I want to get back to the the older vendors. Are you the only Jewish one? Oh no, it is mostly Jewish. Actually, I wouldn't say mostly. It's def- there's there's a good presence of Jews there for sure, especially the old guys. A minion? The day it was, full minion? Oh, we could abs. Oh. Four minions, probably. <laughs> wow. On any how, how many vendors? Are, how many vendors are there total? Uh, more like more than a hundred, right? Yeah, there's probably like a hundred and fifty employed, and I don't know how many show up every game. We have like minimums sure. that we have to hit during the season, but um, it, there's there's a good number for sure, and there were a ton on, on opening day and, and for some of the big games. Um, but in terms of of Jews, I mean, we could have we we could fill probably the, the four, five or six rows of a synagogue uh, congregation room. Nice. So yeah, there'd be, there's a good amount of us. Very cool. Are we talking Are like, there, like uh, the synagogues with set up folding chairs or like the wooden pews? Uh, it's a good question. I, I'm going to have to do some analysis. <laughs> That's over some the deep synagogue stadium. discussion. 
get back to you. Yeah. As, aside from from baseball, I mean, in the summertime, is Wrigley Field like being used most nights that the Cubs are out of town? Are you there vending on uh, for concerts and stuff like that as well? Uh, I wouldn't say most nights. So I think Wrigley Wrigleyville actually has uh, a maximum number of night events that they can host over the summer because oh, it right, is in the right. middle of a neighborhood. So they don't want to be disturbing just families constantly. Sure. So there's. I think this year there's like seven concert nights aside from the home games, but that's obviously why the Cubs have every Friday home game is a day game at 120 right. because there's only so so many nights that uh, they can have events. Do and what's your and what's your preference? Do you do you prefer a day game or a night game for 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 vending for being a fan? Uh, what however you want to take it. Oh man, I. I for vending, I like day games because we get an extra inning to sell alcohol. So for day games oh, at wow. Wrigley, last call is the end of the eighth inning. But for night games, it's the end of the seventh inning. And with this new pitch clock, it's obviously affecting concession sales because there's less time to eat and drink. Um, so that extra inning is huge for us. I'm also hoping that people start to realize if they get up and go to their seats or go from their seats to go to the bathroom or to a concession line, they might miss more of the game now with the sped up pace right. of play. So my message to all you fans is let us do our jobs. We will bring you your food and drinks. Just stay seated, watch the game, and we'll come to you. So I, 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 has everyone, has just just a stick on that, has everyone felt that? Like the pitch clock has eaten into your guys' uh, ability to sell a little bit? Like the time of each inning is 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 a little bit quicker, you know, has it has it affected things a little bit? Yeah, I, it's hard to tell right now because like the weather isn't amazing, so it's sure. not like you're constantly selling right now anyway. So I think guys are a lot of the older guys, if it's not like uh, a great night to sell, they kind of enjoy the pitch clock so we can get out of there a little quicker. Um, but I think once the, the June, July and August day games come and it's a great day to sell beer, I think that's when right. people are going to start feeling it. Hopefully by then people realize that if they get up, that they'll miss more of the game and want to just stay sit sitting in the sun with a cold beer delivered from us. Um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how things progress this season. I've been, I've right. been to one game at Wrigley field. I spent most of it, um, looking at and taking pictures of Reed Johnson. If you remember Reed Johnson, of course I remember Reed Johnson Cubs and blue Jays legend was my favorite baseball Absolutely. player at the time. Nice um, little beard, tan glove. Exactly. Bald, right? Very bald. The thing, the thing yeah. I remember just the, the thing I remember most about Reed Johnson is I think he led the league and hit by pitch one year where he had like 26 and the next highest was like 12. And he just like, yeah, he just stuck his elbow in all year and just kept, we, yeah. The Cubs love guys base. like that. Anthony Rizzo took over that title for us. Right. Uh, just soon after. Grit. Got that will to win. Got and that was, dog in him. I, I recall the amount of beer drank. We sat in the right field bleachers and our, the amount of beer drank by, it was a Saturday afternoon, by just like your average Joe. Like people were buying, you know, cups of beer, but they were buying enough to fit in like a, like a cardboard tray. That they like the the vendor would fill with beer and just pass down the aisle. Um, it was very impressive. You can't get away with that in Canada. Yeah, I can imagine. They uh, they've got those beer bats now. Have you seen those? No. What are those? No. Wow. It's a, we have a souvenir Cubs beer bat that holds twenty six to twenty eight ounces of beer. You take the souvenir bat home with you, but it's open at the top. Yeah. Um, it's a it's been a hit so far. <laughs> well, what is that? Is that thirty dollars? It's thirty dollars on the nose after tax, I believe. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, good for them. Honestly, it's it's not it's not super unfairly priced. 
in my yeah. opinion. It's it because you get the souvenir. There they sell at the Skydome a you can buy an entire bottle of wine that comes with a couple of glasses and they serve it cuz they do concerts there too. They serve it in a g- carafe shaped like a guitar. Oh, right. that's clever. We've got we've got carafes that have a Cubs logo on it that we sell with, with glasses for concerts oh, nice. as well, but I don't I don't know if we do that for games or not. We might just like the wine. So, so Jonah, we, we, Jonah, we we were introduced to you as we mentioned the top from through TikTok. Uh, you know, like the the algorithms work because you know they're lining up. Uh, you know, Jewish content creators, sports fans, all that. Uh, what what inspired you to start making uh, making your own content, making TikToks, uh, using that to reach out to people? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think for me, it's just kind of like the whole idea of making people feel more connected to Wrigley Field and. I love sharing the story about a job that I'm obsessed with and a team that I love and coworkers that I love. Um, and there's just so much history behind it. And there's, there's a couple books, um, that some of my vendor colleagues, older vendor colleagues have made, um, about vending, but my goal was to really try to digitize those stories and bring them to more of a wide scale, uh, basis. And the TikTok and Instagram algorithms have, kind of picked up real quick and it's it's been incredibly fun um the older vendors now are getting recognized from my tiktoks like at the stadium i i I, people are asking me for my autograph it's been a wild month um but for me it's just kind of like a way to honor the guys who have been there and share their story and really just give like an inside look at vending because everyone knows what a vendor does but uh, i'm trying to provide this unique lens on what a day in the life of a vendor looks like and there's some exciting things coming down the road, I think, for uh, this content series. Um, but it's been an incredibly fun month, and people have been super, super positive about it. Um, so I'm, I'm really just having like the most fun time, and so are the older guys, which is a blast for me too. And That's and great. why is it important to identify yourself as Jewish, Jonah? Like, is that? Can you tell us the story behind that? Like, you know, we as I particularly, Jamie's, you know, maybe a different story, but like, I don't pass. Like, people know I'm Jewish right away. I don't need them to identify. But, like, you've made that decision. Why? Yeah, it, it started uh, in, when I was 15. It was my Twitter handle just because <laughs> I thought it was funny and good. It was a good uh, acronym. Um, yep. But for me, like, it's, it's a little bit ironic because I feel very passionate about, like, being connected to Judaism and my Jewish ancestors, and I love the traditions. Sure. Um, but for, from a religious aspect, like I'm not super religious anymore. Um, obviously I got bar mitzvahed, but I I've, I've actually been having a kind of a, a debate with my mom a little bit about why I'm keeping it. And, you know, like the state of where things are in anti-Semitism right now. But for me, it's just like, I'm, I'm proud to be Jewish, even if I don't really believe in the religion. Like, I think it's important to kind of keep my name. Um, and it's, I didn't want to change my, my Twitter handle. And that's when I made my Instagram and TikTok. It was all Jewish Jonah. And now people are coming up to me at Wrigley and they'd be like, hey, it's Jewish Jonah. So <laughs> it's, it's been really fun. Um, and I'm, I'm planning on sticking on being a, a proud Jew on social media. I think that's great. Uh, Jonah, I just wanted to, to ask you one more question uh, before we let you go. Uh, I've seen a lot of your TikToks where you, know, you have vendors do their calls, uh, you know, calling out for hot dogs. You're rating other vendors' calls and stuff like that. Here's so you've talked about having a spreadsheet, you know, taking keeping stats on this. Uh, does it matter? Do the vendor calls matter? Does that get them the business? Uh, are there guys who are who are making more money because of the way they call out? Uh, you know that they're selling hot dogs or beer or whatever it is. Is it making the difference, or is it just uh, you know you have your section, you're selling beer, people are thirsty? 
I think it does matter for sure because there is a level of vendor competition within the section you're in. Um, so okay. like, it's not like it's rare that you're the only guy selling Bud White or the only guy selling Goose Island in your section. Mm-hmm. So you really need to make yourself stand out because um, ultimately we work on on commission and tips. And like Mark, the singing vendor, he does very well and with the fans because he's such a personable guy and so clever with his call and and all of his beer songs. Um, but I actually think it does matter uh, to get people's attention first of all, and then it's just it's just a way to like kind of break the ice with your interaction with a fan. And for me, it's like those really small interactions, those 30 second to one minute interactions that I have with hundreds of fans every game. It's just, it's really fun for me. And I kind of try to ham up my calls. So it kind of breaks the (laughs) ice and shows my character a little bit before I go and sell to them and we have a conversation. So that's great. When, when you're on the other side, when you're the fan and you're at, you know, 28 of your stadium so far, you're in Toronto, you're in New York or whatever. And somebody walks by, you know, yelling at beer you whisper to whoever you're with like ah, i wouldn't have done that like that's so 100%, bad strategy a hundred percent i am judging their calls uh sometimes even externally and other times i praise them to their face like, oh, that, that was a great call sometimes it, i even i learn from them too is like, so oh, that's great so yeah. was there like a code word you could be like well you know i'm, I'm a hawker too and then they you know they nod <laughs> is there is there like Nor- the jeep wave is there like a like a vendor nod there really should be some sort of vendor secret handshake. Uh, I'll, I'll right. think about it and I'll, I'll try to, to come up with yeah, one. Yeah, um, meet, up, meet up with the boys from the South Side and, and maybe you guys can <laughs> agree to something and, and spread from there. I'm in. I'm, uh, I'm actually going out to, to L.A. Uh, for my cousin's wedding and I'm going to go see a White Sox-Dodgers game. And I think nice. I'm going to start making some content at other stadiums of rating Dodger vendors beer calls. So. Uh, in a month or so, be on the lookout for a video like that. Hey, if you're ever in Toronto, let us know. We'll we'll show you our favorite vendors, and then you can decide if they're good or not. <laughs> that sounds great. I'll uh, you'll have to give me the ones that are, are uh, ready for an interview and some FaceTime. We got some notable well, vendors. Excellent. Yeah, should leave it there. Thank, thanks so much for joining us, Jonah. That that was a real treat. Uh, and and you can find all of Jonah's content on on TikTok uh, at Jewish Jonah on on Twitter as well. Same handle, right? At Jewish Jonah, everywhere you can find me. Thanks again, Jonah. Thanks, Jonah, for that really fascinating and engaging and surprisingly Jewish story about Chicago <laughs> ballpark vendors. It, it reminded me a lot of sort of a classic episode of NPR's Planet Money podcast. Right. Um, believe it or not, one of the inspirations for the Menschwarmers, where uh, they go deep into the story of uh, vendors at the Boston Red Sox games at Fenway Park. And there's a lot of similarities with the draft based on seniority, with the different sections, with the different discussions, including a vendor who made a spreadsheet similar to the one that Jonah told us about. So maybe he was inspired by that episode, you know, knew, saw some treatment tricks tricks of the trade some tips like you said he gets from other vendors at other ballparks um hearing that episode we you know we're happy to to learn more about the vendor story and hear what uh jonah has to say so thanks a bunch jonah for being on our show and uh we'll be following at jewish jonah on tiktok on twitter on instagram for i guess as long as these platforms continue to exist we we don't talk a lot about our, our inspirations. I don't know exactly uh, what they are. I would say I would say the the grandfather of all podcasting is the movie My Dinner with Andre. Uh, that was the first time someone <laughs> just uh, filmed two Jews having a conversation. 
Uh, yeah. And, you know, what are what is this podcast, if not that? Uh, some derivative that's, of that. that. That's very good. And I also think, you know, that's you. it's interesting you bring up my dinner with Andre because the original version of this podcast was actually just you and I talking about Wallace Shawn the entire time. That was the whole website. Just this noted, whole episode. noted athlete. This, yeah. Noted athlete. Yes, this was just originally the Wallace Shawn movie discussion <laughs> podcast. We had a whole five episode season on that one scene in the princess bride. Didn't, didn't feel like we had enough uh, longevity for that one. So we had to pivot to sports. Um, <laughs> but before we go, there is just one, one more thing I, I wanted to mention. Uh, this did happen a few weeks ago now, but I, I did feel, uh, an obligation to talk about it, uh, which is the passing of, of really one of my heroes, Harry Belafonte. Uh, Harry was a quarter Jewish. Uh, he had a Sephardi grandfather, apparently, um, and, you know, was a real mensch. I think everyone everyone who has been eulogizing him for the last couple of weeks has been talking about that. Um, but the thing I want to mention that, you know, has a connection here, which is that he really, more than anyone else, is responsible for the popularization of the song Hava Nagila, uh, which I didn't realize uh, until watching uh, the documentary about Havan Nagila, uh, which I believe is called Havan Nagila, the movie, uh, and uh, which was uh, made a couple years ago and talks about, you know, the application of Havan Nagila, the development of it, talks to a lot of different people, including Harry, about his uh, interaction with the song uh, and his sort of ability to make it into what you know into this huge thing um and i should say that having Gila is of course you know probably most well known to people because it is the song that is played in arenas everywhere like it's been a hockey song mm-hmm. for years it's still in in you know played in lots of ballparks uh basketball basketball stadiums probably less so basketball stadiums these days seem to just be like pumping the jams like 24 hours a day uh, the entire time you're there. But I think if you have an organist, like there's still an occasion where having yeah. a deal might be played here and there. So probably, okay. uh, you know, a, an interaction with Judaism that lots of sports fans don't even realize they're, ha- realize they're having. Uh, and I think we really have Harry to credit for that. I mean, it is pretty far down the list of accomplishments that he has. Uh, you know, he, he had an amazing life uh, as an entertainer in civil rights uh, in lots of other things as well. But I wanted to mention that, you know, Baruch Diana met to Harry Belafonte. And for all he's given us, and in, including you know having a gila at, at the at the hockey stadium and everywhere else. Uh, in fact, I believe it's the theme song to this podcast. It is. Uh, it is. Which so th- which is a a, a variation. Uh, of that. You know, a full story. No, you. I think it's it's that's a great way to wrap it up. A great way to wrap up the bow on the the next couple of weeks. That the, the Harry Belafonte's passing was. You know, I I will be perfectly honest. I didn't know he was still alive. Um, but he was, you know, deep into his nineties. Um, producer Michael has given me the eyebrows indicating that he too did not know Harry Belafonte was still alive. Um, but I, I think that, you know, uh, uh, it's, you're sort of reminded of people often when they die. It's, you've seen it. Sure. There's an old saying that dying is a good career move, right. um, because it gets you in the news. And for someone like Harry Belafonte, I think that's absolutely been true because, you know, you don't realize the impact he's had until. You yeah. And I think it gave everyone an opportunity to, to, you know, remember the, the amazing things that he did in his career. Uh, so again, just thought it was worth mentioning. Yes. Having a Gila part of our theme song as well. And we have Harry to thank for that. Uh, so until next time, uh, as always, we're produced by Michael Freeman and the Canadian Jewish news. You can find our podcast at the CJN.ca. Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on whatever app you're listening this to, to this on. If you don't have a podcast app on your phone, 
please ask one of your children and they will show you how to do that. Uh, or uh, <laughs> you do have a podcast app on your phone uh, because you're young enough not to have children and understand how to subscribe to things, in which case we don't need to walk you through it. Please do so. Uh, <laughs> um, and maybe if, you, if any of your friends or parents or family leave their phone on a table or <laughs> on the bus, or if you happen upon a phone on the street, just like go into the app and, and give a subscription, maybe a five-star review as well. Yeah, we're still kicking around on Twitter uh, until our blue sky invite comes through. Uh, you can follow us there at Menchwarmers uh, until further notice. Thanks again for listening. Uh, please pass this this podcast along to your nieces and nephews, and we'll we'll see you next time.